Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest coming to us from Europe today. Our guest has been on the show before. Jeff, God health. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. It's awesome to be back here. You are the co-author of Sense and Respond, Lean UX, Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking. You've got the new press, Sense and Respond, and you've been in this space for 20-ish years, breaking down <laughs> barriers of customer development and product design and all the kind of fun things that we've been talking about over the years. I was going back through the records. I think it's episode 37 that I had you and Josh on to talk about your new book, Sense and Respond, but probably a lot has happened since then. So I want to get back to talk about uh, some of the things that you're seeing out there. So welcome to the show. Awesome. It's great to be here. And, and it's been an eventful couple of years, so I'm sure we can easily fill up the time with good stories of travels and work frustrations and victories and all of those things. One of the core topics I wanted to explore, and I'm getting a lot more questions in my consulting practice and in general about people are understanding a lot of the methodologies and tactics around lean startup and customer discovery and that. But a lot of the questions seem to be focused more around how do you build this culture of innovation and this culture of learning and that. And so it seems to be going more from the tactical stuff to the more hard stuff. I kind of wanted to kick off the conversation around that core topic. Are you seeing the same things? What about this whole concept of culture of innovation and how do you do it? I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've had to explain to people that I've met recently. I've met, I've met a few new people recently in the last month or so. And they say, you know, the, the obvious conversation it eventually gets to, well, what do you do? And I've had to explain to them, what do I do? And particularly if they're, they're in the industry, then I can speak more freely. And what I've realized is that people call me when they have begun their agile transformation or their digital transformation or attempting to implement some kind of innovation practice or a new process that should drive innovation or something along those lines. And it doesn't go as they had hoped or according to plan, <laughs> right? Or it only impacted one of the disciplines or two of the disciplines that make this work. And we're trying to figure out how to get the rest in there. So engineering is agile. And so they've increased their pace and their quality, but product management is just running to feed the beast and design is doing their own thing somewhere else. Or something like we've implemented Spotify, which I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in the last year or so. It's become a noun, the Spotify model at this point. Even Spotify doesn't do Spotify anymore, which is crazy. <laughs> so maybe if you're not familiar with Spotify and, and what they've been talking about, maybe unpack that just a little bit. There's a, a bit of a manifesto, if you will, that was written by Henrik Niebuhr, who was one of the guys behind that whole way of working at Spotify, which basically said, we're going to organize into these squads. And these squads are small, cross-functional, self-sufficient, empowered teams. And each one of those squads is going to be contained within a tribe. And that tribe is going to have some kind of organizational focus, a product line, a customer journey, a function, whatever it is. And then they've got these chapters and guilds, which are essentially the guilds are people who are simply interested in the same ideas. So a cross-disciplinary group of people who are all interested in DevOps or lean startup or psychological safety or gender diversity. And then the chapters are more single discipline, 
communities of practice. So the design chapter, the software engineering chapter, that kind of thing. Because it worked for Spotify and because Spotify became wildly successful, people have started to implement this model blindly, right? Which is great. And again, as a, as a starting point, it's fantastic. Why not build small, cross-functional, right. empowered teams to work together towards a shared mission? But then as soon as they start to do that, they recognize that that's not enough, right? And so the culture that surrounds these ways of working, letting teams be autonomous and empowered is not typically how big companies work. <laughs> that's when I get the call usually. They'll say, hey, listen, I saw this talk, or I read your book, or this thing that you wrote, help us. It seems like you know how to make all these disciplines work together. And it seems like you can figure out how to put these pieces together in a way that actually encourages innovation and learning and improvement and agility. And I have to tell you, to me, I'm the last person who will speak in absolutes. I really am. I don't like to speak in absolutes. I never feel that confident about anything. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I see, if, if I was to nail it, building a culture of innovation down to one core thing, it's shifting the management of the organization from outputs to outcomes. Now, I know you've heard this phrase. I know other people say this phrase. And I know it sounds cliche and maybe tired, but it to me, this is the key to success. And it's super simple. It's super simple to say right. and very difficult to implement because it affects the entire organization. The gist of it is this. If you tell somebody to make you an app and to have it done by next Friday, right? That's managing to output. Build me right. a thing and have it done by deadline. There's very little innovation or creativity that goes into that because the measure of success is shipping the app. But if right. you took that same exact group of people and you said, listen, your job is to increase mobile commerce by 15%, go. Yeah, it what opens up a wide variety of options. It opens up every option, right. <laughs> right? And that's where learning and improvement and innovation and agility come from. And it sounds so easy and it's so, so difficult. Hey, listeners, I wanted to pause this episode to bring you a special announcement. We are bringing back the IO Summit. Yes, the third annual Inside Outside Innovation Summit is coming October 20th through the 22nd. This year's theme is talent, technology, and the future of innovation. If you are an entrepreneur, innovator, corporate leader, looking to future-proof your organization, showcase your startup, or just mix and mingle with some of the best and the brightest in the world of innovation, don't miss this immersive event, October 20th through 22nd. Check out tickets at theiosummit.com. Is it a matter then of almost changing just the incentive structure? And again, changing not even the incentives of like how much you get paid or what you're being measured on, but the specific outcome that you're trying to have. And, and if you just, that change of framework, that change of mindset, does that go a long way at helping to switch a lot of this or alleviate some of these problems you're seeing? Yes, <laughs> that's it. That's the answer is changing the incentives. And that's why this is so difficult, mm -hmm. right? This is why this is so difficult because changing incentives means it's not as simple as saying, well, we're just going to pay you differently because what we're changing is the success criteria for your job, which means we're changing your job description, which means we're changing who we hire, which means we need to reevaluate who we have on staff which means the things that got you to where you are in the company today are not going to get you to the place where you thought you were going to get doing those things. If I'm in the company 15 years and I've well, got my eye on that corner office and you've yeah. just changed the goalposts for me. So change the dynamic of whose job it is or who, mm -hmm. kind of the whole territorial issue around it. So if you change 
the outcome, a lot of times that outcome probably is beyond what you originally were designed to do. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a product developer XYZ, but yeah, the outcome, if it requires marketing and sales and all this other parts of the engine to help create that outcome, it changes how the political structure and everything else around it. Absolutely. Right. Look, 10 years ago, I worked at a company. It was a high growth company with 400 people in it that went from, you know, the founder's living room to 400 people. And in that world, everybody does what they need to do to get the job done. And it was so funny because there was a guy there who had worked in the company since its inception. And, you know, seven, eight years in, he moved and he got a job at Amex. His first job was with the startup. And then his second job was at Amex. And he was there for maybe a year. And he came back to the startup. And when he came back, I loved his naivete in all of this, but he came back from Amex and he was horrified. He was telling these battle stories of how they put him into a box, literally a cube, a discipline-specific box. And every single time he took half a step outside of that box, he would get his hand smacked right? mm. every single time. And he's like, I don't understand how people get anything done over there. Like, If it's not in my job description and I can do it, so what? So that corporate world has to realize that we have to evolve all of those things to build that culture of innovation. Now, is that something that has to be top-down driven where you have to get the execs on board to foster and build that culture out from that side? Or are there things that the individual product manager, marketing director, person in the trenches, so to speak, can do to start making that evolution or helping with that progress? It's a two-way street. You can't do it without some executive support. You need somebody, somebody in the C-suite, somebody on the XCOM, somebody at that level who is willing to take the risk to provide you with the space to prove out a better way of working. So you need to find that person. I've written a short article about this once called, and I'll make this PG-13, the poop umbrella. That's the person that you're looking for, right? The person who's got that political capital and they're willing to spend it to carve out a space for a pilot team or two to prove out the model. So we need that person. And then to kind of protect that pilot effort from the organizational poop that will inevitably kill that idea. But you need the team. And then you need the team and the people willing to try it. So that there's got to be somebody kind of from bottom up saying, look, I will lead this effort. I understand what needs to happen. Let me drive it. And so when that top down, bottom up meet, there's an opportunity to compartmentalize the risk of this transformation, of this change, and to build evidence for its validity and ultimately for its scalability. How are you dealing with or seeing people dealing with the problem of, they've got some executive support, they're taking on more experiments or, or challenges with smaller teams, they're then realizing that their experiments are wrong or that their the ideas that they originally thought are wrong or not getting the attraction that they would want. So the ideal thing is to kill that. And then it leaves that team exposed with, hey, now I'm out here alone with an idea that was killed quickly. How do I get back into the poor career track? Or, you know, I see that a lot of times where we're having these discussions, like what happens if it fails? Because inevitably, a lot of these things are going to fail. It's like, Mm -hmm. how do you bring it back into the organization? Or how do you keep those teams motivated or working on new projects, et cetera, to continue their ability to move forward with new ideas? I mean, there's processes for this, but I'm going to come back to your comment on incentives. The how do we reward that learning? First of all, failure sucks and no one wants to fail and no one wants to buy failure and no one wants to reward failure. Okay. I mean, let's be honest, right? No one comes home from work and explains to their partner, I failed today at work and it was awesome. 
But hey, you know what? I learned something super interesting today. That's a completely different conversation. And who would be against that, right? Generally speaking, that is a far better use of words. So how do we reward learning? And how do we reward learning in a way that refocuses our efforts on ideas that are most likely to succeed? And so while you know the Lean Startup and Agile and Lean UX and product discovery and design thinking have given us the processes to do this, the thing that we need to make sure that as we build these practices in our organization, we reward the learning, we incentivize the learning, and that we are radically transparent about it. Because the more that other people can see that, hey, we tried this thing and it didn't work. We found out in three weeks, we killed the idea. We learned something that actually helped us pick a better idea and we're moving forward. Not only did no one get fired, but we actually got rewarded or praised or held up as a model for the organization for it. That means I can do that too. Yeah. And so that's part of building that culture is, the, is being transparent that this stuff is taking place. Yeah. I think that's overlooked a lot of times that storytelling that has to come out of it because it's a different type of storytelling that most corporate folks are used to telling. You know, They're used to spinning it for the best and making it appear like everything's up and to the right, but having both the courage and space to be able to tell different stories around what we learned. And, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, failure is not great and failure due to incompetence is different than failure because we thought something differently. We found out something that we learned that was different from our original assumptions. It's, it's understanding and defining what failure is and for what particular reasons that you did have that failure. And again, not rewarding incompetence, but rewarding that learning seems yeah. to be the, the key. And let, look, and let's not overlook branding and marketing of these efforts. Yeah. Right? There's a reason why when GE brought Eric Ries in, they didn't call it Lean Startup in the Enterprise or Lean Startup at Scale. They rebranded it Fastworks. Mm -hmm. ING has got their name for it, which escapes me right now. Every one of these groups has their own brand name for it. And so branding and marketing for these efforts is important and really focusing on the positive aspects of this way of working, right? So again, not failure, but learning. That's the kind of stuff that makes this more appealing to people who will naturally be resistant to this change. Very interesting. The other thing I want to talk about is, so you're living in Europe right now. I know you've done a lot of work in all over the world, quite frankly. Are you seeing different trends in how companies are approaching these problems based on geography or vertical market? Or what are some of the trends that you're seeing out there? Vertical market, not so much. I'm seeing the, the same kind of urges and drives and campaigns across industries. No sense there. I do get a sense that Europeans look to the US for inspiration. So there's a belief that American companies are more advanced in this way of working than European companies by the European companies, generally speaking. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Where I do find really interesting challenges that, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know how to overcome it. I'm not sure they're surmountable, is when you're dealing with national cultures, specific national cultures, this is the way that we behave in Germany. This is the right. way that we behave in Japan. This is the way that we behave in China versus Brazil versus United States versus you know Spain. Those unique national cultural things make this way of working sometimes easier and sometimes more difficult, right? So if there is a very rigid and traditionally hierarchical approach to even the national culture, then questioning what your boss said or presenting an opinion that differs from your boss is extremely difficult to do in some cultures of the world. 
And in those situations, there's no amount of lean startup or agile or whatever design thinking that's going to overcome that. So that's what I believe, right? You're looking at centuries of ingrained social norms. And there are going to be situations where it'll be more difficult to bring in this way of working because it's just not how we operate here. Yeah. We don't right? think that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It'd be interesting to do a study across the United States too, to see if there's different, you know, I'm based in the Midwest and obviously the technology hubs and that play a role, probably similar to Europe where a lot of Midwest firms are, you know, look to the coast for answers where I've been on both sides and I've traveled the world. And to a certain extent, it doesn't seem to be some of the Valley firms that aren't using lean startup or agile methodologies that to the extent that dynamics are different. You know, when you have venture capital, that's throwing a lot of capital at startups and that you don't necessarily have to be lean <laughs> at the yeah. earliest stages and that. So it seems to be different dynamics. It's super interesting. Look, the language is universal. Everywhere yeah. I go, people are doing agile and people have read lean UX and lean startup and they know design thinking or they know the words and the practices. The ideas have permeated globally. That's not the issue. The challenge is how willing are these organizations to implement these practices? I'll tell you a story. Five years ago, I think it was at this point, I got invited by Samsung to go to Korea with a group of really super interesting designers. They were all designers, I think, designers from the US to go speak to Samsung engineers about modern product design and development. And we all gave talks to these engineers. And there was this kind of side conversation where myself and two other, other folks who came with us got pulled into a lunch with their mergers and acquisitions team. And the main question they had for us was this. They said, we buy a handful to 10 to 15 different startups every year. And as soon as the golden handcuffs expire, right. the founders split. They never stay. Why don't they stay? And we explained to them that these are folks who are entrepreneurial. They need space to think and to work and to challenge and to iterate and to you know, be spontaneous and creative and follow a bit of instinct, a bit of feedback, a bit of evidence, but providing them with this kind of this rigid structure, they're not going to thrive in that. And they looked at me and they looked at my colleagues I was with and they said, okay, we'll let them go. <laughs> right? Like basically, right? right? Because look, 250,000 people work at Samsung. And for the, let's say 500 people they acquire, they acquire every year, they're just not going to change the culture for right. those folks. It's too much. So they let them go. So that's a, an excellent question because we've seen obviously the trend in corporate innovation folks to look outside to startups and whether it's you know creating a hackathon or investing in startups and that. What are some of the things that you're seeing out there that seem to be maybe helping to bridge the continental divide between startups and corporates and how both interact and work and can create value in an innovation ecosystem? I have seen a lot of failure in organizations who spin up some kind of innovation lab. Call it whatever you want, right? But at the end of the day, it's a separate group of people who get to work in whatever they want, whatever way they want on a forward-looking ideas, you know, kind of big leap, big thinking ideas. And I've seen those fail time and time again. And my belief is that they failed because the organization that spawned these labs didn't think about the what-if case, the positive what-if case. What if these folks stumble onto a good idea? Right. What do we do then? Because that is where this breaks, believe it or not. If you want to incentivize your brightest, most motivated, passionate, entrepreneurial people to join and drive innovative efforts in your culture, you need to think about 
what happens if they succeed? Do they get an equity stake in this? Do we roll the product that they come up with back into the mothership and try to productize it and integrate it with IT, which is a recipe for death? To me, what I've seen happen is organizations spin up these labs, run into those issues or a variety of issues, and then absorb those folks back into the, the mothership in an effort to enrich the DNA of the whole corporation. It's a downer for morale. I think it's a failure, frankly, of forward thinking. So the question is, how do you create the kind of innovation path? You know, It doesn't have to be an explicit lab, but if my team and I discover something big and we're able to validate it and productize it and start to generate revenue around it, how do you reward me for that so that people look for those opportunities and take the risks involved in validating and testing those opportunities? Because without that, they're not going to do it. Yeah, it's so relevant. I mean, I've seen it myself as well, where you, you can't throw innovation over the fence and hope something happens from it and expect it to be you know, totally integrated in what else you're doing out there. And and quite frankly, the winning ideas may be something that kills your existing business model. So how does that play into the whole thing? Terrifying. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Jeff, we're hitting up on our time right now. Anything else uh, on your mind that uh, you want to talk about? The thing that's most important is for people to continually push the envelope. The language is permeated. The vocabulary is in place. A lot of organizations want their people to work this way and maybe explicitly asking for it while not explicitly rewarding and incentivizing them for it. <laughs> and, and so I think that if you find yourself in a position where you are comfortable with the people who manage you and you feel like there is an opportunity for you to push the envelope a little bit. I say, take it. I say, take that opportunity and say, look, on this next initiative, we're going to try things a little bit differently. And we're going to be transparent about that. And we're going to share our successes and failures with that effort more broadly and see what that gets us. I have a feeling that in a lot of organizations, there will be leaders who will smile and reward and support that. And that maybe starts to drive the conversation that a lot of these practitioners really, really want to see happen and they're waiting for their leaders to come around. Jeff, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation. If people want to find out a little bit more about yourself or your books, anything else, uh, what's the best way to do that? It's a great question. Actually, I just relaunched jeffgothealth.com. It's got everything on there. It's got my blog. It's got my books. It's got my events. I would encourage everybody to go see it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Brand new, just relaunched, jeffgothealth.com. Jeff, thanks again for being on Outside Innovation. We'll have to do this sometime in the next two years, not keep you off the show for this long. So thanks for coming back on. My pleasure, Brian. This was totally fun. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.